Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Katie Neal. Welcome back to the Katie and Company podcast. This week on the Superstar Power Hour, we had the incomparable Keith Urban on the show. And Keith is just one of those people to me that who like doesn't walk, they float. Like He's so famous. He's such a rock star, world renowned. Like everyone around the globe loves Keith Urban. And I was actually really bummed because he was doing press on the same day that I was on vacation. So I did not get to physically sit down and talk to Keith. So what I did was I sent him questions and he was so kind to record his answers to them. But for your listening pleasure, we have edited this together in the form of a podcast. So it's a little bit easier to listen to. So here is my interview with Keith Urban. Keith, congratulations on the success of Wild Hearts. Can you talk about some of the um, the personal touches that you added to the song to make it feel more personal to you and why you did that? So I got sent Wild Hearts uh, as a complete finished song. It was written by Brad Tersey from Old Dominion, Eric Pasley from Eric Pasley, and uh, Jennifer Wayne from Runaway June. Um, and it, I loved the song, but the, I loved the choruses, but I, but the verses weren't really speaking to me. And so I originally passed on the song and then two weeks later found myself singing the song in my head and, um, asked the writers if I could rewrite the verses just to make them more personal to my, my own journey from Australia to America, um, pursuing my dream. So, uh, Verse one and two, were, I, I completely rewrote and I just left the choruses intact because they were pretty bulletproof. <laughs> and then I know that you are always working on new music, but can you give us an update on the next album? Like, is there a tone or a theme to this? There is a thematic direction to the next album. Uh, and the title is part of that as well. Um, so that there's a common thread between all of these songs that will tie them all in together that I'm really excited about. And it was going, coming full circle and working back with Dan Huff again. Uh, we did all of my uh, first six, seven albums together. Um, and then I started working with lots of different people, um, never excluding Dan, because we would always find a couple of songs to work on. But I had never done a full project with him. I haven't done a full project with him maybe since Get Closer, I think, which is 2008, somewhere around there, or 2011. And this project was was felt like the time was right for us to just keep recording song after song, and and eventually we ended up with a whole album. When you're working on an album and you're getting mixes back from someone like Dan, what? How do you like to listen to music? Like, what is your way that you like to consume it and kind of test it out? That's a good question. Yeah, um, there's two. I guess I have two answers for that. One is some type of very high end system that can highlight everything within the track within the recording. 
um, so I don't miss anything. But the other is the complete opposite end, which is something very cheap, basic, simple, um, low quality, or very just very generic. Um, and listening at low at low volume, um, does the song come out to me? Does it come? Does it come to me? Or do I have to, you know, really go into it? So it's a little bit like um, I almost feel like listening parties would be better if the music was just put on in the background and everyone just mingled and chatted. Because if the song found you, that's a really good sign. And when you think about it, that's always the songs that catch us at, at radio or anywhere. We're chatting away and we go, what is this? What, I like this. What is this? Who is this person? You know. So that, that's the reaction you want from new music. Speaking of listening parties and new music, who is it? Like, do you have a group of people that you go to? Who is your litmus test for trying out new music once you've got a song back? I do. I have a lot of different people that I play for different reasons. I like to make it as broad as possible. Guys and girls and different ages and different styles of music and music people, not music people. Um, some people that work with me, some people that don't. Just as as broad as it can possibly be. <laughs> but I do but I do think the the way I feel playing music for, for anybody is something that I've learned to listen to a lot more uh, as far as um, if I feel awkward playing this for this person, why why is that? You know. And I've had it happen when I've recorded something and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited about this. And I hit play and play it for somebody and all of a sudden I'm like, I don't feel so good about this now. I did and now I don't. And, and the person may even be loving the song, but there's something that's bothering me. <laughs> well, as an artist, you've also got to feel good about it. I would love to, if you can talk about the story behind your very first number one song, But For The Grace Of God, because I don't think a lot of people realize that you actually wrote that song with the Go-Go's. Yeah, Jane Whelan and Charlotte Caffey from the Go-Go's were in town and a I was asked, do you want to go write with them? And I, my first thought was no. Like, I don't know, what am I going to write with the Go-Go's? And, uh, and then someone said, no, you should write with them. It could be really, really fun. So they were staying at the Lowe's Vanderbilt over there. Um, and I, I, so I remember it so vividly. I remember going into the room and Charlotte had a guitar and Jane was scribbling some lyrics and they they were throwing out all these song titles and they were just, the girls would know, they were just terrible, like stereotypical cliched country type things and I'm like no 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 and I'm suggesting something that's not really working and then it was just one of those moments where I'm like oh this is so awkward how do I get out of here and they could tell it wasn't working and it was just awkward and I said okay well oh well you know all good no problem no harm no foul you know we tried and then Charlotte, when I got this title called but for the grace of God and I grabbed my guitar and started playing these chords just like literally right away and singing a melody and Jane was sitting over there scribbling really fast to this melody I was singing and then she hands me this lyric sheet and it was like I can hear the neighbors there arguing oh these fit perfectly great and, and the song was written in like no time at all and I went back to my publishing company and did a demo of it and we were trying to pitch the song because I went it's not for me it's not my kind of song but hopefully somebody wants it. And it floated around for a couple of years and nobody wanted to record it. And when I went to make my first album in 1999, my manager at the time said, you should do that Grace of God song. I think that's really good. And I went, me? 
goes, yeah, I think it's a good song. And I went, all right. So I reluctantly cut it. There you go. Well, thankfully you did, and it all worked out. Do you remember where you were, what you were doing when that song went number one? When I heard the news that Grace Girl was number one, yeah, it was very surreal. I was like, number one, like where? And they're like, like number one in the country. And I go, in America, right? Say, say it, you know, because <laughs> it's too surreal. I have the number one song in America. What? It was such an important milestone for you, especially after having success in Australia and then trying to make it in America. Did you, I mean, a lot of times for an artist, getting their first number one song kind of means like you are getting your first paycheck after literally truly being a starving artist for several years. Did you make like a big or a memorable purchase after that first check came back? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I love cars and I had a... 92 Chevy Caprice at the time, uh, but I really wanted a uh, an Impala, an SS, mid-90s, 94, somewhere around there would be nice, black one, 4.8 litre Corvette engine, blah, 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 blah. And I found one for sale in um, North Carolina. I think it was in Charlotte, North Carolina, at a car yard. Found it online. Um, I got my first royalty check. For Grace of God, and it was $20,000, and the car was $23,000. I fly to North Carolina to get this car, hoping I can get this guy to come down to 20 grand because it don't have 23. And um, I get there and I jump in the car, and this is 2000 and what is it, 1, 20, 2002? 2000? No, 2000, I think it was, right? Because that song came out 2000, so somewhere around there, 2000. There I am. Um, I'm driving in the car with this guy and it's perfect. I can't fault the car. It's just perfection. And the whole time I'm thinking, how do I get this guy to come down the price? And I'm like, oh, you know, I think, um, would you take 20 for the car? And he goes, well, it's it's pretty good like it is. And I go, I know, but I really, I don't have 23. I I have 20, you know, and he goes, well, let me ask you this. I mean, what sort of money do you make for doing like, you know, an appearance? And my first thought was none of your business, right? Because I, I, I'm thinking he's thinking I'm good for it. And I, and then I realized, and I, so I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, say, for example, I wanted you to come to the car yard maybe and sign some autographs at some point. What, what might that cost me? And I go, oh, three grand he goes yeah I figured figured it would be three yeah yeah exactly all right so you give me the check for 20 and then you promise to come back and sign some autographs in my car yard and the car is yours and I'm like fantastic I got the deal of the century (laughs) jump in the car drive back to Nashville each year I keep like I still haven't gone back to this guy and I'm very much of my word I think it was 2005 by the time we were touring back through there and I'm like, we are going to go and I'm off my word. We're going to do this. That autograph line was insane. I was there for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I just remember the big sheepish grin on this guy's face the whole time. It was hilarious. But that car was, um, that was my first big splurge. Yeah. Of course I would blow my whole first check on a car. Such a single guy. Such a single guy thing to do. And then after, but for the grace of God goes number one, then you scored your second number one song, which became one of the biggest songs of the decade. Somebody like you, can you talk about the day that you guys wrote that? Oh, 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, I wrote it with a guy called John Shanks who was in Los Angeles. I'd never met him before. So I, I showed up. I was nervous uh, writing with somebody I didn't know. I was in LA, had my banjo with me. And um, I, I stopped off at an Irish pub on the way to the writing session. And I had a Guinness and it was really good to add a second one. And then it was really good to add a third one. And I don't advise you shouldn't be driving after that. But I did. And I drove over to the session and walked in feeling pretty good about every stranger. And um, <laughs> and he had this this cool little drum loop thing going. And because I was whatever, just felt very sort of good, I just grabbed out my banjo and played this opening this riff, whatever seemed to suit the thing, and sang a bit of a melody, and off we went writing the song. Um, and then I finished it. We got most of this. We got all the chorus done there, and then I took it home to the hotel that I was staying at that night, and then wrote the, the rest of the verses. And really, what the song was about was um, it, this is the crazy part. I was in a relationship at the time. And I was really struggling with loving myself. And I felt like this person I was with loved me. And I thought, man, I wish I could love me like you do. But I, instead of saying I want to love me like you do, I just changed it to, to I want to love somebody like you. And it wasn't, it wasn't I want to love somebody like you. It's like I want to love them the way that you do. That's, that was what the song was about. I want to love somebody like you do. And that person being me. So it, it's interesting how the rest of the song reflects that. There's a new and blown like I've never known and feeling deep. In, you know, so it's really it's loving myself, which I did not do at the time. And I really wanted to. And this song was uh, 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 out of want. I, I wasn't this guy in the song, but I really wanted to be. The song just took on a life of its own. And I'm so grateful for that song. You know, I've never played a tour without doing somebody like you. And it's still one of my absolute, absolute favorite songs to play live. Like I, I love it as much now as I ever did, which is crazy. And I've been playing it for a lot of, a lot of years now. I mean, talk about some like unbelievable and incredible stories that I've never heard from Keith Urban. That was truly amazing. I can't thank him and his team at UMG enough for doing that for us. And I hope that you enjoyed. That was our conversation with Keith Urban on the Superstar Power Hour. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? 
then you're going to want to tune into the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.